you're listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Ross Strader. We're so glad you've joined us today. And as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, BethelBible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday service now. Well, good morning, Bethel. Glad you're here this morning. Uh, We know that it is a reality that some Sundays you overcome more obstacles than others to get here. And so between the sugar comas and the time change, we are very thankful that you're here. Uh, If you want to be open in your Bibles, you can turn to the book of Jonah. We're going to be chapter 4. And so let's explore the scriptures together and see what the Lord has for us this morning. Uh, First, let me introduce myself. My name is Clint Wright, and I get to serve in the family ministries here at Bethel. And I'm a fairly new parent. My oldest son is about three years old, so I haven't been doing this for very long. Uh, But I've been doing a parent long enough to know there are some things that I just don't have to teach my kid. A lot of things we have to try very hard. So me and Melissa, I mean, every day, we try to teach them to be polite, say please and thank you. But there's other things. It's almost like they're hardwired in. And not just for my kid, it's universal that kids just know to do. Let me give you an example. I would be willing to bet the farm that a scenario much like this one has played out for every family in here. Scenario goes something like this. You're on vacation. Life is great. All is right in the world. Everyone's having fun. Everyone's getting along. And you're in your hotel, and you're walking up, and everything's great until you see the elevator. And there's one button and two kids, right? (laughs) And all of a sudden, these kids who a fraction of a second ago We're great. Everything was fine in their life. Now, nothing is right in life unless they are the ones that can push that button, right? So, you you know, make that decision. How do you make it? If you have any tips, please let me know. I need to know these things. You make that decision. You let one kid touch the button, tell the next kid, hey, you get to do it next time. And that kid that doesn't get to touch, touch the button looks at you and says those three words that every kid comes built in knowing how to say, and you know what they are. That's not fair. That ain't fair. That's not fair, Mom and Dad. What are you doing? You know, it's funny. You think about that statement. It's kind of a way for our kids to acknowledge our role as their parents, but just tell us we're doing it all wrong. Right? You're doing it all wrong, Mom and Dad. Because here's the deal. Here's what the kid's saying. Mom, you say you love me, but I know what love is. Love is letting me push that button whenever I want to push the button. And you're not letting me push the button. That's not fair. Let me tell you what else I know. I am an angel. My brother Johnny is a scumbag. And the fact that you're letting him touch that button... Shows me you're not fair. Thankfully, we grow up, and we, y'all, we get so mature, and we stop leveling those accusations. Thankfully, we, we, ne- we would never level those accusations at God, would we? It's the biblical concept of self-righteousness. It, it comes from this transactional view of God that says, me and God got a deal. I do my part, he does his part, but here's, what, here's how it always ends. Hey, there comes a time where I feel like I'm doing my, my part, but God doesn't do his part. And so I end up shouting at him, this, this is not fair. You're, not, you're doing it wrong, God. You're doing it wrong. Today we're going to look at the story of Jonah. We're going to continue our search for Christ in the Old Testament through the story of Jonah. And y'all, here's what we're going to find out. Jonah is essentially this kid standing at the elevator shouting at God, hey, this is not fair. In fact, twice he's going to tell God he's so angry he can die. And listen, y'all, by the time we get to the end of the story, I don't know a single person in all of literature less likable than Jonah. I mean, his selfish righteousness is going to get exposed, and y'all, it's ugly. I mean, it is ugly. U-G-L-Y, you ain't got no alibi. Ugly. 
But this is really interesting because we, this series, we're looking at types of Christ. And a type of Christ is supposed to be a signpost, signpost that points us to Christ. It's, it's, a type is like a, a partial fulfillment that informs us and prepares us to recognize the true fulfillment, the complete fulfillment, Jesus, when it comes. So how can a scumbag like Jonah point us to Jesus? Well, to figure that out, we're going to have to do a little work and, and explore the story of Jonah a little bit. So we'll do that, and then we're going to be in Matthew 12 uh, and see what Jesus has to say. So story of Jonah. Many of you know it. Jonah's a prophet. God says, Jonah, go to Nineveh and tell him my judgment's coming. Jonah says, no thanks. In fact, I want to show you how much he says, no thanks. So we've got this map, and you got Jonah is in a town called Joppa right now. And you can see Nineveh, 550 miles, one direction. Jonah seeks to go 2,500 miles a complete opposite direction. And y'all, this is kind of what their map looked like. He's going to the edge of the map. Corner of Alaska. I'm out of here. Peace. So he runs from God, and then he's in this boat, and the storm comes. And y'all, Jonah thinks the storm is God's wrath. It's not his wrath. It's his love. It's his grace. God is not going to let Jonah run away. And he thinks God has come to smite him, and all the sailors in the boat, everyone's afraid. And Jonah says, look, you should toss me overboard. God's come for me. That'll appease God, and you guys will be safe. And so reluctantly, these sailors, he Tossed Jonah overboard, and Jonah thinks he's going to drown. He's going to plummet to his death. That's it. God has smited him. God provides, a, or God provides a fish. That fish saves Jonah's life, keeps him from dying. It's God's grace. Now, God lets him sit in the fish for three days, think about what he's done, right? So after three days in the fish, the fish spits Jonah out. Jonah says, I get it. I'm going to Nineveh. That's fine. I'm going. He goes to Nineveh, and y'all, he preaches what has to be the least winsome sermon in the history of mankind. Five words. No mention of repentance. You know, no offer of repentance. No mention of God's grace. Just persistently says, y'all are going to burn. You know what Jonah's like? Look, I'm a youngest sibling. Who in here is a youngest sibling in their family, right? Y'all, some of the best days of my childhood were when my older brother was doing something wrong. And that moment happened when mom or dad walked in and he was so busted. You know what I'm talking about? They walk in, and you're just like, you're going to die, and I get to watch. This is going to be awesome. This is Jonah going to Nineveh. He's not out from the repentance. He's like, y'all are going to burn, and I don't like y'all, so this is going to be great. And would you believe it, y'all? Nineveh repents. They believe God from the king down. They put on sackcloth and ashes, and they repent, and they beg for God's mercy, and he's merciful to them, and he relents, and y'all, Jonah is furious. He is so angry. So let's pick up the story there. We're going to read chapter 4, verse 1 through 3. It says this, But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? This is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, Lord, please take my life from me. For it is better for me to die than to live. That's not fair. These Ninevites are the enemies of my people and they're violent and they're heathens and they're evil and they're wicked. And they say one little sorry and you just relent and you forgive them. That's not fair. So Jonah's had enough, and he runs away. He, he leaves the town, he goes out in the desert, desert and he's pouting. And y'all, God, out of his mercy and love, pursues Jonah. 
See, Jonah, if you notice, Jonah up to this point has done every action God has asked of him, but his heart is far from God. And so like a loving father seeks to discipline his child, God pursues Jonah out in the wilderness, and he gives him a plant. And this plant gives Jonah shade, and Jonah loves the plant because it does something for him. The Bible says it makes him exceedingly glad, but then God sends a worm to destroy the plant, and Jonah's love and joy and happiness is replaced with equal parts, pity for the plant and anger towards God. And Jonah lashes out again. That's not fair, God. You took my plant. Let's pick it back up in verse 9. We're going to read chapter 4, verse 9 to the end of the chapter. We'll see God's response. But God said to Jonah, Do you well, do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, Yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. Jonah just doubles down on it. And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh? that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from the left and also much cattle. And y'all, that's where the book of Jonah ends, with God's question just hanging. No resolution, no repentance from Jonah, no light bulb moment. God's question just sits there. And I think the Bible does that because the Bible wants us to answer that question. See, here, here's what the book of Jonah in the end of this is about. Here's the point of the book of Jonah. Jonah's heart doesn't match God's heart. God loved Nineveh. Jonah hated Nineveh. And that's the disconnect. Jonah did all the actions, but his heart was still far from God. And so this is the point with the tree. God is saying, listen, you loved that tree because it, it did a little something for you, and you loved it. And then when it was destroyed, you wept over it. And Jonah... 120,000 people made in my image, so lost without me, they don't know their right hand from their left. You didn't weep over their destruction. You didn't weep over their sin. In fact, you delighted in their destruction. That, that can't be. That shouldn't be. This morning, we're going to look at several and examine several different aspects of, of our own self-righteousness. But first, I want us to ask ourselves the question. I want us to examine ourselves and see if we find any of this attitude of Jonah within us. See if we find any of the self-righteousness within us. You know what the first sign is? The first sign that self-righteousness has set up shop in our heart is that we don't share God's heart for other people. Let me, let me put it this way. You can't worship God without imitating God. You can't worship God without imitating God. Isn't that the dead giveaway for Jonah? Even though he may in the end have gone to Nineveh, his heart for Nineveh never matched God's heart for Nineveh. And this is why the Bible says, listen, y'all, in 1 John 4, it says, listen, we, we can't claim to love God who we can't see if we don't love our brother who we can see. It doesn't match. It doesn't match up. That, that can't be. It's like this. We, a lot of times we, we claim to know God's love for us without sharing God's love for other people. When we do that, we're like people who claim that they can see in color out of one eye and see in black and white out of another eye. And so with, with the eye that we see ourselves with, we see God with, man, we, it is lit up with God's mercy and grace and compassion. But this eye that we see other people with, it's black and white. People are good or bad, usually based on what they do for us. And so this, they're my friend, I like them, or man, they hurt me, they annoy me. And that's how we try to see other people. Y'all, that's not how it works. That's not how it works at all. Listen, either God's mercy and grace colors all of your vision from periphery to periphery, or it doesn't. 
You can't be changed by God's love and mercy and not reflect that to other people. So at this point, I have, I have a question for you. Who? Who is it? Who is it that if God started to bless and have mercy and compassion on, would start making you say those three words? Wait, 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 God, that's not fair. So you go, let's say you go home. You go home from church, you know, and you eat lunch and maybe sneak some Halloween candy or whatever. And then you sit down and you look at Facebook. And would you know it, someone you know won the lottery. And then under, they post it on Facebook, and then underneath is comment after comment about how great this is for them and how there is no one else on earth more deserving of this than that person. Whose picture at the top is it going to make you the angriest? Is it going to make you stop and say, God, that's not fair? See, that's exposing our self-righteousness, exposing how we don't share God's heart for people. So it's worth asking, so what blocked Jonah from sharing God's heart? What what was the self-righteousness that, that creeped in? How did, how did that work? Well, now we're going to go to the rest of, rest of the story in Matthew, Matthew chapter 12. See, there's, I think there's another reason Jonah ends with a question. It's the cliffhanger. It's like every Marvel comic movie in the past decade. It ends just so we have to go see the next one, right? And that's what this is. So let's turn to Matthew chapter 12, and Jesus is going to revisit the story of Jonah. And he's going to fill in the blanks a little bit. So let's read. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him, that's Jesus, saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be there three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at judgment, and this generation will condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. So the scribes and the Pharisees are there, and they go up to, to Jesus, and they demand, a, they, they demand a sign. They say, hey, show us a sign. Show, show us what you can do. And Jesus says, you're a wicked and adulterous generation. What? Seems like it escalated quickly. What's going on here? Why does, why does Jesus react like that? Well, he, here's what he's doing throughout the passage. He is connecting Jonah with the generation of the scribes and Pharisees. And understand, by generation, he doesn't just mean those specific people. He means all who do likewise, all who share the same heart, mind, and attitude. Is that generation. And he's saying, he, he's filling in. Here's, here's why Jonah was so self-righteous. Here's why Jonah never shared God's heart. They were adulterous. Jonah had a mistress. See, Jonah claimed to be pursuing God, but then he also had this side God, this other God that he was pursuing. And so what was it? What was Jonah's mis mistress? Y'all, it, it is something that is very subtle, but very toxic in our lives. See, Jonah was pursuing the things that God does for him. He was pursuing the things that God does for him. This, this is what can happen when we're in church for a while and we're trying to do all the right things and make all the, things for, all the right things happen and, and practice the religion and follow all the rules. This thing can sneak in where we take good things, good things that are from God, and we turn them into gods. We take good things and we turn them into gods, and that is always going to end up in self-righteousness because here's what's going to happen. At some point, we're worshiping the good things God gives us, and then we're going to perceive that he's not giving us something that's good, something that he owes us, or something that we should have, and we're going to find ourselves shouting at God. That's not fair. That's not fair. 
We get in this place where we treat God like a vending machine, don't we? And we walk up, we got our money out, and it's like, okay, uh, I went to church every, you know, I went to church this week, and I read my Bible every day. I prayed every day. Okay, that's not enough. Let me, okay. I went back for Bible study, and then I refrained. I refrained from the sin, and I didn't yell at my wife and kids. Great, okay, J51. Where's my Funyuns? Y'all, think about how angry and annoyed you get at a vending machine when that little bag of chips like gets caught up in the thing and it doesn't come out, right? The most calm, kind, harmless person you know will stand there and shake that vending machine because he doesn't get his bag of chips. And there we are with God. Where's my comfort? Where's my happiness? Where's my peace of mind? Where's my business success? Where is it, God? Remember the tree? This is what the tree was for Jonah. Why did Jonah love the tree? Because it gave him shade. It gave him something. And it captured his heart. And that was his other God. His heart was attached to the thing God had given him. So when, when God took it away, man, his heart was broken. It was broken. And that's what the Ninevites were for Jonah as well. So little background, Nineveh was the capital city of Assyria. And Assyria, y'all, was the, some of the most violent people in history. There's nothing we know of today that even measures up. They did atrocities that, if I told you, would make you sick at your stomach. And you know where these, all these records of their atrocities come from? From the Assyrians themselves. It's all their kings and leaders bragging and boasting on the, in their violence. So these are, these are the Assyrians. And here's what we know. God had already declared through the book of Hosea. So Jonah and Hosea are contemporaries. They ministered at the same time. And if you go read the book of Hosea, you know the whole thing is this picture of Israel being an adulterous people. Though their loving and faithful husband, God, longed for them to return, they are off pursuing other gods. And Hosea, God says, listen, unless you return to me, the the Assyrians are going to raise up and they're going to be my avenue of judgment on you. So Jonah knows. He knows his people aren't repenting. And then he sees the Assyrians repent and he is angry because he thought he and God had a different deal. He thought God was there to protect his home and maintain his borders. And then something different comes out of the vending machine, and there's Jonah shouting, that's not fair, God. That's not what you're supposed to do. You're not holding up your end of the bargain. The same attitude is behind the Pharisees' demand for a sign. They come up to Jesus, and they're like, show us a sign. And y'all, there's something really hilarious about this. Jesus had just healed a man who was demon-possessed, blind, and mute. And he healed him of all three. He like hit a triple, okay? Now, I mean, some guy runs in here, demon-possessed, blind, and mute, and I heal him. I'm fully aware I'm going to have a lot of questions from y'all, okay? There's going to be a lot of questions that I'm going to be fielding in that moment. I'm pretty sure one of those questions is not going to be, yeah, but can you show us a sign? Let me just help you. No. If I do that and you're asking for more, I got nothing else. That's it. But here's the Pharisee, and most of you don't even have to turn your page in your Bible to read about him doing it. That's how recently it just happened. So what's behind this? What's behind this demand for a sign? Well, we need to understand in the original language, a sign was different than a miracle. So a miracle was something you do. A sign was proof of identity, proof of who you are. So here's what the Pharisees are doing in that moment. They're not just asking him to do something. They're attacking his character. They're attacking the ver- and questioning the very nature of who he is. 
And this is the next thing we know about self-righteousness. To the extent we find it in our heart, we need to know self-righteousness will always make you attack God's character. Self-righteousness will always make you attack God's character. Remember the things that Jonah got really angry at God about? You remember that list? It's not the normal list of things people get angry at God about. He attacked God because he said, you're gracious and you're merciful and you're slow to anger and you're abounding in steadfast love. Y'all listen, those are not things God does. That is who God is. That is the very core of his nature and his character. And that is what Jonah is attacking. And that is what makes him angry. And this is how self-righteousness always worked. And it looks like this, because we had an idol. We were worshiping the things God does for us. And when we don't get that, we go very quickly to attacking who he is. Because this is never what we were in love with to begin with. This is never the true God we were following to begin with. We were, we were after this. And so when we don't get this, it's easy to attack that. Do you see that? So Jesus responds by saying, look, you're only going to get one sign, the sign of Jonah. So what's the sign of Jonah? Well, it's fairly easy to understand. He kind of lays it out for us. Just as Jonah was in the belly of the well three days, the Son of Man, Jesus, is going to be in the earth, dead and buried for three days. But then just as the whale, the fish, spit Jonah out, Jesus is going to rise from the dead. He's going to show up again. And as a result, God's kindness is going to lead to the repentance, not of one city, not just the city of Nineveh, but to the ends of the earth. Men will see God's mercy and grace, and they will believe, and they will repent, and they will be restored to God. That's why Jesus says, I'm one more than Jonah. I'm one better than Jonah. Jonah was just a, a partial vision of what you're going to see in front of me. And here's what Jesus is saying to the Pharisees. You're going to see all that, and you're still not going to believe. You're going to see me dead buried for three days, rise again, and you're going to see men from across the globe who are far from God be brought near, and you still won't believe. That you're going to get the sign of Jonah, and, and you're, in fact, instead of believing, you're still going to be there shouting, that's not fair. Here's something else we need to know about our self-righteousness. Self-righteousness blinds us to God's grace towards us. It blinds us to God's grace towards us. Think about this. The Pharisees are standing there with the ultimate display of God's grace, standing in front of them, looking them in the eye, and they're totally blind to it. They can't see it. This God who longs to, to forgive them and love them and bring them near to here is staring them in the face, and they can't see it. They're blind to it. Same thing happened to Jonah. He is so angry at God's mercy to the Ninevites that he's totally blind to what, what God's doing. So let me tell you what God does. Here's, here's what happens. Israel does not repent. And so the Assyrians raise up and they take them into captivity and they conquer the people of God. But here's the deal, y'all. They don't treat them with the same violence that they treated other nations with. They don't wipe Israel off the map the way they did with other people. And there's only one explanation for that. And that is because at some time in the past, they had met the God of Israel who had mercy on them. And so they had mercy on God's people. Y'all, if it wasn't for that, Israel ceases to exist. And the history of redemption that's leading to Jesus is stopped in his tracks right there. It's, it's, it's obvious in the whole book that God loves Nineveh more than Jonah. It turns out, God loved Israel more than Jonah. 
it turns out God loved Jonah. And even in the midst of his anger and rebellion and idolatry, he was making a way to spare them. Jonah's blind to it because of all his anger, because of all his self-righteousness. He could not see God's grace and mercy towards him. So then Jesus gives this fascinating picture of judgment towards the end of the verse. He says, here's what's going to happen. The generation of Nineveh, which again, that just means all those people that that represents, is going to rise up and judge the generation of the scribes and the Pharisees. Which you may be wondering, what, what's this about? I thought God was going to do all the judging. Am I going to go to heaven and there's some Ninevite there, you know, that I got to talk to and prove myself to? What's that about? Let me, let me explain a little bit about what's going on. So a few years ago, for the first time, there was this outbreak of counterfeit tickets sold to the Super Bowl. And now it's a big deal, and they do all these things to kind of guard against it. But there was a year a few years ago where that had never happened, and all of a sudden, everybody started doing it. And so all these people spent hundreds of dollars on Super Bowl tickets, a ton of money, got the ticket, went up to the ticket gate to get into the game, and were refused entrance because they had a counterfeit ticket. And it worked because these counterfeit tickets looked a whole lot like the real thing looked a whole lot like the authentic thing. And so if you just had that, that one counterfeit ticket, it looked like the real deal. You're good. But see, then the people taking the tickets, they would have with them an authentic ticket. And it's only when you compare the authentic with the counterfeit that all the inconsistencies you start to see. And he's saying, look, this judgment's going to happen in the same way the authentic judges the counterfeit. Do you see that? So we got to ask. So what's the difference in the authentic and the counterfeit? Well, Jesus only gives us one difference. One difference. It wasn't how violent anybody was or how righteous anyone was. One difference. Nineveh repented. That's it. Nineveh repented. And so they're going to be there in, in this judgment. And, and you know, Jonah's going to say, but, but the Ninevites, they were so violent. I know. I know they were violent, but they repented. I know, Jonah, I know you were born to the right family, but they repented. Jonah, I know, I know you were a prophet. I know you did all the Lord's work, but they repented. And so here's the last thing we need to know about our self-righteousness. Self-righteousness keeps us from repentance. It keeps us from the authentic ticket. And y'all, here's all repentance is. All repentance is, is that I bet it all that Christ paid it all. And so I forsake any claim I have to earning anything on my own, and I completely turn and run from all of my idols. I dump the mistress, and I bank it all on God, that he paid it all. That is repentance, and our self-righteousness will keep us from it if we're not careful. See, here's the deal, y'all. Here's the deal. There's this great irony in all of our shouting that it's not fair. You know what that irony is? It is that we are absolutely 100% right. It is not fair. But you know what? It wasn't fair for Jesus. It wasn't fair for Jesus who was, he actually was righteous. And you know what? He wasn't just in a fish for three days. He was dead, buried in a tomb for three days. There was no fish to spare his life. And you know what? It wasn't for his sin. It was for the sin of Nineveh, the scribes and the Pharisees, Jonah, and you, and you, and you, and you, and me. It was for our sin. And that's not fair. That's not fair at all. You know what's not fair for us? It's not fair for us because despite our self-righteousness, our adultery, our pursuit of ourselves, our pursuit of our own gods, our pursuit of other gods, he did not treat us as our sins deserve. Did you hear that? He did not treat us as our sins deserve. 
But while we were far from him, we didn't know our right hand from our left. He made a way where we could not make a way. And that is not fair. Y'all, this is the message of the gospel. It's not fair. Praise God. Praise God it's not fair. This is the gospel. So just one more question for you, and then we're going to close, and, I, and I'll pray, and, we're, and we'll head out. If God does nothing for you, other than save your soul and give you a relationship with him, is that enough for you? If all you get is the sign of Jonah, that Jesus was dead, buried for three days, and resurrected, and because of that, his, God's grace and mercy and loving kindness is open and available to you, is that enough? Are you still looking for a sign? Still asking God to perform? Are you weeping over a plant that he provides you? Something good he gave you that he thought, you thought he owed you, but you've lost. Maybe that relationship or that lifestyle or even your good health, your comfort, that reputation you used to have, that friendship. Are you looking for a vending machine or are you looking for a relationship with Jesus? And listen, if it's the latter, I've got great news. Repent. Get rid of pursuing all the other gods and there is an ocean of mercy and grace and love available to you and it will color everything you see. Let me pray for us real quick. Father, we are in awe of how unfair you truly are to us. You showed us your love for us. While we are still sinners, you died for us. Lord, you're gracious and you're merciful. You're slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and we absolutely don't deserve it. So, Lord, we repent. We repent of our idols. We repent of taking good things and making them into gods. We repent of acting like you owe us something else. And you've given us your very life. We repent from thinking that we are righteous when really all we have, God, are filthy rags. Lord, we confess that apart from your compassion towards us, we have no hope. So pray that on that judgment day, Lord, we will be standing with you because we bet it all that you paid it all and we have not clinged to any false idol or any sense of self-righteousness, or anything that we are owed by you. Finally, Jesus, help us to show that same love and compassion to others. Help us when we struggle to love others. Help us when we struggle to show grace and mercy and compassion to others. Lord, we want to share your heart in our actions, in our deepest and innermost attitudes towards people. It's in Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We hope that you were blessed and encouraged. And if you have any questions or comments, we want you to let us know. Simply send your thoughts to questions at Bethelbible.com. Thanks for spending time with us and be sure to join us next week on the Bethel Bible Podcast.